never play to the gallery, <laughs> I think. But you never learn that until much later on, I think. But never work for other people in what you do. Always, always remember that the reason that you initially started working was that there was something inside yourself that you felt that if you could manifest it in some way, you would understand more about yourself and how you coexist with the rest of society. And I, I think it's terribly dangerous for an artist to fulfill other people's expectations. I think they produce, they generally produce their worst work when they do that. And if, the other thing I would say is that if you feel safe in the area that you're working in, you're not working in the right area. Always go a little further into the water than you feel you're capable of being in. Go a little bit out of your depth. And when you don't feel that your feet are quite touching the bottom, you're just about in the right place to do something exciting. Hello and welcome to The Mirror. I'm Justin Reed, and it's another delightfully grey and gloomy day here in North Queensland. And I have been thinking about the idea of the audience, like the audience for the art that you or I, we create and ways that we can respect our audience. And I guess the thing that led me to this was thinking back on the release of the video game Cyberpunk 2077. Now I'm not a much of a a gaming, um, I'm not, I don't play games very often uh, I, I'm really interested in them. They are very fascinating to me, especially like open world games and RPGs, role playing games. But I often find there's a bit of a barrier to entry for me. And one of those is just, I guess, like one is like a mental barrier, which is like the idea of, you know, I'm not very experienced with them. So because I'm not very good at them, I kind of tell myself that I'd, whether it's explicit or not, I kind of tell myself that I shouldn't play them because I won't be good at them. So there's no point, which is ridiculous. And as I've shown to myself in the last 12 months, having played a few games um, after not really having done that in the last God, seven, eight, maybe even upwards of like 10 years, um, I can actually play them and I can get a lot from them and really enjoy them. And then the other part of it is like actually certain mechanics of the games themselves that kind of uh not put me off but keep me from fully investing in them and I realized what that was what one of those key mechanics is um very recently as I was researching a game called Disco Elysium which is a game about like a a detective who wakes up and he's forgotten um like he's basically lost his memory and it's set in the future in this kind of like more like a cyberpunky type world, but I guess it's kind of adjacent in a way. Um, and it's got all those elements of like RPGs where you've got different skills that you can level up. And then when you level them up, you can use them in different ways within the world to investigate. Uh, but the key difference with this game compared to other RPGs is that there's sort of no mechanic for fighting bad guys you know like shooting in combat which is something that interests me because I do like the idea of the challenge but I often find that that's the thing that holds me back from wanting to actually play the games because where my interest comes from 
is the worlds themselves and the exploration and understanding. And, you know, just like truly that like deep immersion and exploration. And I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's an accident that the only game I finished in the last 12 months was a game called Gone Home, which is, I guess, what you'd call like a walking simulator. Uh, but it's it's basically this game where you play a, a teenage girl who's just come back from a trip to Europe and it's set in the, the mid to late 1990s and you come back to your home. It's uh, very gloomy and dark and no one's there and you have to piece together just clues from what you find in the house as to what happened and like where your family is and what the go is and it has like a very haunting vibe. It's not a horror game, although I will say there are moments where it is very haunting and and the the game really resonated with me it was very emotional which is you know really interesting because it's just you in this singular house like exploring and understanding things through your exploration but you're not interacting with anyone else there's no combat there's no villains there's not even really any heroes but it was such a deeply uh you know resonant game with me that it made me uh, realize like, okay, I can play games. I can finish games. And, um, this is probably more in line with the kind of games that I actually want to play. So that game I finished. And then the other main game I played over the last 12 months was the Witcher three, uh, which I adored from the moment I started playing it. It's just such a beautiful game. The environments are amazing. The interactivity, you know, all of the things that you can do, all of the immersion. And it, it really like drew me in and it was like incredibly, uh, incredibly, um, interesting. And, you know, I, I've always sort of loved fantasy settings, but I'd never played a fantasy game like this. So this was my first, you know, RPG, um, video game experience. And it was really great. Uh, and I still think it is great, but over time, as I kind of got used to the game's mechanics, um, I kind of started to enjoy it a bit less because, and, and this will tie in with the topic for this episode, but there is a feature that's within this game and is also very common within other games called the minimap. Now, if you're a gamer, forgive me, um, you'll be very familiar with what this is and what the role of it is, but if you'll allow me to just sort of like unpack it for a moment, it's basically this small map that appears oh the rain's coming down again that's great i'm loving these rainy episodes it's so awesome but yeah uh, i digress the mini map is this small map that will appear and usually the top right or yeah usually the top right hand corner of your screen and it just shows you where you are in relation to the world around you and this can be very useful and as um i've kind of realized from a lot of games it's actually baked into the game itself so if you removed it you would kind of be screwed in many ways. And I think that's what kind of led me to stop enjoying The Witcher as much as I had the first few times I played it, where I was just, you know, um, exploring and coming across things myself and, you know, coming across villains is because this minimap, the main thing that it does is it basically tells you what's within, you know, proximity to you or when you select a quest or, a you know, uh, in the middle of some kind of quest or side quest, it's telling you what direction to go and how far away you are from things, which is, you know, obviously that sounds incredibly helpful and it is, that is the point of it, but it's not the thing that I loved about the game from the get-go that drew me in and, you know, it was really fascinating to me. And, and as I have, you know, continued on with the game, I think I'm only like 15% of the way through, I don't play it 
very often. In fact, I don't think I've picked it up in like four or five months at this point. Um, but you know, I just play an hour here or two hours there at the most. I'm, I'm very casual kind of, uh, you know, very casual to, to the world of gaming. Um, and I just, I just felt like as, as the mini map became something that I just sort of started to rely on that sort of magic of the world kind of melted away a little bit because you're just kind of, and, and I've heard people speak about this in, you know, sort of critical videos and, and online spaces like YouTube where, you know, the minimap kind of ruins or flattens the experience of the game. And I must say that I felt that way as well because it's basically hand holding you through the game, which is useful if the game is designed that way. But if that's all you're doing, it can really start to feel like even though you've got this crazily massive open world with all these different things that you know you're you're just kind of like bypassing it you're just kind of like drifting through it you're you're in the world but you're kind of existing in this like liminal space where yeah you're just really like a a bystander who maybe interacts with some people but they're usually just obstacles in the way to get to your next quest and i i don't i i won't like sort of say this makes games like The Witcher 3 a bad game. I still think it's a great game. I still want to continue playing it. And if anything, my interest in RPGs has, uh, you know, increased in, in the last couple of weeks with, uh, and, and months with releases like, you know, Cyberpunk 2077. And, and we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But I do feel like it kind of, yeah, has taken away the thing that I really like about the game. And this reliance... And, and this is a launching off point, but like this reliance on features like the mini map or like points of interest, you know, it's really useful and it's a mechanic that people have gotten used to. But I do think that it kind of shows a little bit of like, I don't, I don't want to say laziness. Like obviously these are really, um, really established game studios who are creating massive online experiences and like, you know, single player experiences for people but there is almost like a lack of respect for the audience to create something that just kind of says like okay and here's the next thing that you go just sort of dangling a carrot in front of you the entire time as opposed to like some true element of like exploration and that's how you're finding things and I know that with certain games like it's just not going to be possible like even though they are you know very open world or that they are they do have these you know, deep elements of like a, a large environment and, and very, you know, immersive like gameplay, you're still going to need people to work through the narrative and the narrative is caught sort of the center of everything. But the fact that this manifests only in the form of the minimap to me, I think is a little bit disappointing. And this is coming from, you know, someone who's not a, a seasoned gamer, someone who's not coming from like a lot of experience in this industry, I'm coming to it as a new player and I'm sort of recognizing this and, you know, maybe that's just my personal experience and and everything, you know, everything that I talk about here is just going to be genuinely my personal experience. But I would, I would like to have that, you know, initial experience continue as I work through it before the minimap kind of takes over. And so, yeah, this, this sort of comes back around to the idea of you know, respecting your audience. And I think like, 
you know, launching into this topic of like respecting your audience with, with games as a launching point, talking about games like The Witcher 3 and then, um, you know, Cyberpunk 2077, which is a game created by the same game studio, CD Projekt Red. Um, look, I'm not going to go into the details of sort of like the launch of the game, which if you followed it, uh, you'll know a lot about it. If you haven't, basically it was a nightmare. The game was basically unfinished when they released it and they've been talking about this game for eight years. It had multiple delays. It had all these issues surrounding, you know, mistreatment of uh, their workers uh, and, you know, all of that as a backdrop for a game that promised to be so much and then ended up not delivering on so many of those things. And I think one reason is just like the relationship with, large organizations like large movie studios, large gaming studios that sort of like, you know, promise the world. And then if you get, um, you know, something approximate to that, then they feel like they haven't, you know, they haven't done wrong by you. But I think a lot of people just due to like the hype of the, you know, the, the game itself and, and the last however many years leading up to it, Um, I don't think they possibly could have been satisfied with that, the product, like based on, you know, the level of hype surrounding it. And now people I think are really upset about it. Um, But I watched a really fascinating video critique by a a video creator on YouTube called Never Knows Best. And it's an hour and 47 or hour and 46 minutes or so long critique about cyberpunk in which he basically you know, he outlines that these are the problems with it, but then because of the expectations that people had based on like the marketing and the PR and, and, you know, just the discourse around it, um, because it never delivered on that, then people can actually not see it for what it is now in front of them, which is, you know, an unfinished and flawed game, but with some incredibly impressive, um, features and mechanics, um, albeit, you know, suffers from many of the same issues I just, uh, outlined, um, from the Witcher, you know, the, the reliance on, uh, these like points of interest and, and the mini map that can kind of like take away from the spectacle of this very, very impressive, like immersive environment that they have created that you exist in. I mean, I, I haven't played the game myself at this point because it doesn't actually run on the console that I own. So I'm looking forward to buying it in like two or three years once they finally fix everything. If they do, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they would have to. Um, Otherwise, everyone would, you know, get some kind of refund back or something. Um, uh, But I've watched my friend play it. Um, He's got an amazing setup. He has an awesome, you know, full HD projector and the new Xbox Series X. Well, new. It's been out for a while, but... And uh, just watching it and just being like, being able to experience that way, it reminded me of like what I loved about games when I was younger. And also one of my favorite things in the world was to go to my friend's house and hang out with him, stay over for the night and just watch him play games like Grand Theft Auto, where he's just running around in this immersive world and doing these really interesting things. And there was always a lot of humor and intrigue. And I really like enjoyed that experience. And it harkened me back to that. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's about the game. And I, and I actually think I might, um, have an episode later in the future with a friend or a couple of friends of mine speaking about like the game and their experience, because I want to, 
you know, I think an important thing with like any type of media or artwork is to actually like engage with it, um, you know, on its own merits and like, sure, you can't divorce it from the fact of these things that have happened, you know, like the unfinished games, the unplayable nature of it on certain consoles, just the, the, I guess, for lack of a better word, clusterfuck that is the release of the title, but to actually like play the game and engage with it, like I think is important and engage with it on its own merits and, you know, be realistic about what the, the drawbacks and pitfalls of it are, but also speak to the things that it does very well. And that's what, uh, that's basically what this YouTube creator never knows best, uh, said is that his thesis was, his thesis was that cyberpunk 2077 tried to be a game that was everything to everyone. It was an open world game. It was a first person shooter. It was an RPG. You know, it, it tried to balance all of these greatest things that everyone loved from games in the past and, and, and be like in his own words, this gaming messiah that finally delivered the most transcendent experience that everyone had always wanted by rolling all these different things together into one. And ultimately it failed in that respect. It tried to be everything to everyone and ended up sort of being, you know, a a shallow version of the things that people wanted it to be. And because of that, you know, and because of the, the PR and sort of hype or whatever around it, um, I don't think people are able to view it and there's not everyone, but like a large percentage of people who are invested in this as like an experience, um, are not able to really see it for what it is because of what it's not. And I think, you know, that was, that was the core of his thesis. And I think that's a really interesting thing because it comes back to the idea of like, of like, you know, the, the studio set these expectations of what it would be. They hyped it up beyond belief. Like it was just, it's been the most anticipated gaming title, uh, possibly ever, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not someone who exists in, in the gaming realm. Um, really, I just sort of have like a, you know, a, an interest from afar, but definitely a deep interest, you know, enough at least to have been speaking about this for 20 minutes so far. Um, but it, it really comes back to like what the studio did with like setting expectations and communicating to their audience about what this would be. And I understand that people, you know, people are always going to be overambitious. Like I've had so many ideas in my life that I've wanted to execute and they end up either most times not even panning out at all or becoming sort of like a watered down version of that thing that I wanted it to be. And often that comes down to time, resources, like self-belief. And an important one I think is like communicating to yourself like what it what it actually, like what the work actually is going to be and then honestly communicating that back out into the world. And, you know, I'm now at a point, I think, where I'm getting quite good at not like holding back, you know, expectations, but rather knowing, knowing like what my craft looks and feels like, what my output is going to be generally. And also, you know, being realistic with myself about that. Um, a good example of this is like, you know, this very project itself, the mirror, uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I was looking back over the recordings I've done so far and this is the sixth episode and I was actually surprised at how quickly I've been creating and recording them because the last time I did the podcast, 
you know, I said to myself, you know, when I did the previous project, 7213, I said, okay, I'm going to do this fortnightly. That gives me plenty of time to, you know, organize things, record episodes, put them out into the world. Um, but because it was like such a reactive thing, because I was just trying to get it off the ground in the get-go, that kind of ended up being the downfall because I didn't actually listen to myself. And even then I knew within myself that like, I wasn't going to keep up that schedule. And I did for the majority of the run, it was only this sort of last two episodes that took a bit longer to come out. And that was just because of like things that were happening in the world at the time. Um, and now that I've, you know, I, I did that and I, as I said in the first episode, it wasn't a failure necessarily. It was just like, you know, understanding my own limitations and understanding the way that I uh, approach these things and the way I need to do them. I've now been much more prolific in a shorter amount of time. Like I've recorded at this point five, nearly six episodes in the space of time that I only did two episodes originally in the original project. And I realize this is a bit of a meandering one today, but it will all come to a, uh, it will all come to a point at the end because, you know, I want to talk about respecting your audience and I, I have a bit of a, a thesis, I guess, about that or hypothesis, I guess you could say that um, is relevant to what I'm just saying right now. So, you know, that's, that's kind of from like a uh, communication standpoint that the game studio CD project red kind of communicated that the game would be all of these things. And then upon launch, it didn't really deliver on a lot of those. And that's where a lot of people are being upset from, but you know, if, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm borrowing again here and I think you should always cite your sources and borrowing again here from the, uh, film filmmaker never knows best. He basically said, if this game was released, you know, as like a, look, this is a game that's still unfinished. It's still in like an early access mode. There are issues, there are bugs, um, you know, be aware of that and go into it and explore it as opposed to the most hyped game of all time with multi, multi-million dollar marketing and PR budget behind it. And, you know, that like expectation behind it, he thinks that people, he believes, and I, I, I agree with him that people would have, been saying this was a, a masterpiece, like a, a, a darling of like the gaming um, world, just because even though it was unfinished, even though it was imperfect, that it just did so many amazing things well. And I, I would point you to his video if you're interested in delving into this a lot further, because I'm kind of going to jump away from this topic here now. But it comes back to that idea of like, just respecting your audience and being honest with them. And this is a, a big problem with like, you know, the marketing side of things with not just games, but definitely film and all kinds of art at this point. Um, we talk about art, but it's definitely more commercialized art is that, you know, I think there's this sense and, and this is usually coming from a, like a, a studio executive economic standpoint that things that are made and released should be, you know, they should appeal to everyone. And generally as we know by appealing to everyone you're usually watering down and diluting your message or diluting your experience in some way so they often end up appealing to no one or to a very sort of small subset of people whereas if you just went really hard at your vision and you went really hard at those people anyway you probably could expand that base of people but i mean 
when these when these uh, filmmakers and film studios and game designers are investing millions and millions of dollars into these projects, they kind of can't go after a niche audience. Like the key consideration they're going to make is money. But I would argue that, you know, myself and probably anyone listening to this is like, we're probably not dealing with that issue. We're probably not dealing with budget uh, and, you know, resource allocation in the millions when maybe working with it on the scale of hundreds to thousands, like probably not even in the five figures, but maybe um, at least at this point, you know, I'm not really working on any any projects that reach a budget of five figures or over that, that may change in the near future, but I'm just trying to make do with what I have. So it's about, you know, being honest with yourself, but also being honest with the audience about what it is. And this kind of comes back around to for me in the way that like, you know, something like a mini map in a game works, like, like it, it basically hand holds you through the process and, and it doesn't allow you to sort of understand and, you know, process things for yourself, which is, like I said, that was like the wonder of the game at that when I first started playing it for the first few sessions that I was just like exploring, um, you know, I was sort of coming across things myself and finding random enemies I probably shouldn't have found and then defeating them. And that sort of like random magic to the game, even though it's not random, but it is in a way because you are, you know, inputting into the game, you are the person who's deciding what you're going to do and where you're going to go. That, you know, that is like, to me, the revelatory experience of something like gaming. And and I guess one of the unintended consequences of this is that when you're handholding people all the time or when you're like over explaining things like way too much, when it comes to a point in a film or a game or, or you know, whatever kind of artwork that you're producing um, and something is unexplained and it is a bit strange, then I think that's when people kind of turn off a little bit and they get confused and they don't understand and they look for some kind of clarification, but they don't actually have sort of a language within themselves for processing. I'm not saying that's everyone, but I would say that's probably a lot of people. And and a really great example of this is that I went and saw, and this is a larger problem with these kinds of movies, but I went and saw the Wonder Woman 1984 film in cinemas. And I had a really good time. I will say, I think the movie is sort of like objectively terrible, uh, but it was like really fun. And it was just great to be in a cinema again. It had been a long time. Uh, it was a really rainy night as well. So it just like felt awesome to, to go and have that, you know, theater experience, even if it was something kind of like as ridiculous as that. But, you know, there, there are certain parts of the film where they kind of like through dialogue and through just like exposition, they just over explain everything that you see and you kind of like don't get a chance to process, um, you know, like yourself like what's happening and derive some kind of like understanding from it they're just kind of spoon feeding you like this is this is what this is and this is why you should care and this is why this happens but then there are other moments in the film where like you know the the bad guy's motivation is completely just left out of it you don't understand like how he knows about this certain plot device you don't understand why he's exactly doing these things it's like sort of hinted at it throughout but it's not explained very satisfactorily. Whereas there are other parts of the movie where they're just over explaining things to you. So I think like that's a problem is that you start, you suddenly start drawing a lot of questions. And then when you start sort of scrutinizing the whole, 
you know, the whole work of art, it just kind of falls apart because it's either over explaining things or not explaining things at all. And I think like that just shows a little bit of a lack of respect for audiences because I've said this before, but people are smarter and more like able to critically think about things than you give them credit for. And I think it's like a general trend of like this infantilization almost of like, you know, the commercial art that we experience that everything has to sort of be, whether explained through the text or through this sort of cottage industry of, you know, takes and reviews that, that pop up on like online websites and uh, YouTube videos and YouTube comments and Reddit comments. And, and I'll admit I'll be, I was the first person to sort of think like, wow, what a wonderful new world where, you know, I can go and watch an episode of something or watch a movie and then go straight to Reddit and have, you know, all these people give me their own theories about things or, you know, come to conclusions and then just, and that novel information is like really, you know, exciting and like addictive. And, but, um, it's, it's kind of like, I guess like it becomes like a part of the the process of watching art is that you don't actually go into the film itself with an open mind or some kind of critical mind. You're, you're just kind of like passively watching this thing and then going to the Reddit comments or the YouTube videos after for someone to easily kind of tell you what you should have taken away from it or how you should feel about it. And again, like I just, I thought that was great for a long time until I just found like my brain capacity to process things and have an original opinion was uh, severely diminished. And that was one of the reasons why I stopped doing 7213 because I started just saying and talking about things that I didn't actually feel like I had, you know, any kind of like deeper thoughts about that. I didn't feel like I was actually processing and understanding. I was just parroting things in the way that I think many people do in the online world, because, you know, who has the time to sit and think about something? Who has the time to critically sort of analyze you know, a a work of art that you've experienced and to talk about how you feel about it when it's so easy, convenient and, and, you know, actually like gives you some kind of status and, you know, recognition by peers or friends or, you know, you're part of the in crowd to just read like the other people's takes of things to understand things um, just through the lens of like someone else, which is, you know, you're always going to, you're always going to not ever, Uh, how do I want to say this it's like I don't know I think like it comes back to that idea of like art being subjective you know and I don't necessarily know how I feel about that statement like I I I get it like I understand that and I, I believe it to some degree it's like it's obvious because everyone you know is kind of coming at it with like different um, views of the world or different, um, you know, life experiences, different material conditions. And that will always shape the way that you process something, the way that you understand it. But it seems like we're, we're getting away from that and sort of coming to an age of consensus where, you know, there is a quote unquote right opinion or right, um, takeaway to have from a work of art. And that's the one that you should have. And everyone kind of agrees on that. And that's just through this, like, you know, homogenizing online discourse that I will happily say that I'm barely a part of at this point because, you know, I'm not on social media. Even when I do sort of like watch YouTube videos and things like that, I'm watching them on my television. So 
uh, there's no way to read comments or anything like that. So it's just me and the work of art, which is how I think it should be. And because of that, I'm, you know, I'm able to take away from it what I take away from it. And sure, I can go and do some more research if I want. And generally, I will research things if they're particularly thought provoking or interesting to me. But I have found since I've, you know, left that, uh, left the online spaces and sort of left, I guess what you could say is the discourse that, well, I'm being a lot more picky with the media that I interact with. Like I have a better bullshit meter. I'll watch something or I will read something and I'll very quickly be able to tell whether it's something that's worth my time, whether it's something that is respecting me enough, um, or offering something that's of value to me or whether it's just some kind of like, you know, pandering or, uh, you know, milk toast, just safe opinion that's just been churned out for the sake of like, oh, well, we've got to have an opinion on this. So let's do it, you know. So like now, you know, I, I've stopped doing that. I've stopped reading those comments. I've, I've basically stopped watching any type of like particular, I guess you'd just call it the content. Like I just have really limited my um, intake of like content, especially because of that fact that a lot of it is just content for content's sake. It's just, well, I need to release a video, you know, I need to put something out. I need to have a take on something. So I'll do it as opposed to, you know, having some like deep idea or something that worth that's worth saying and putting it out there. I'm not trying to position myself as like, you know, I'm superior because of this or, um, you know, I'm, I'm the one with the right takes and all of these people are wrong. I mean, I just think like, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious at this point that there is an entire industry built on just like creating media for the sake of creating media. And most of it is not offering anything of value. And a lot of it just sort of, it's just cultural detritus. It just ends up you know, on the curbside and it gets washed away by the rain. It's not anything that is worth like really engaging with or reflecting with. And I would like to think that, and I, and I do believe this, that my critical thinking abilities have started to improve again since I've limited this and, you know, started reading books again. And also like just, I've mentioned it before, but just writing about things again, just journaling and actually like reflecting, you know, taking the, the thoughts from inside of me and putting them to the outside Um, and then processing them a bit more. And I guess like the best example of this is this podcast, you know, like this is the ultimate, I say the ultimate, that's still definitely not the right word. This is like, you know, a, a better version of like refinement of my original ideas and takeaways from interacting with, you know, art and media and the landscape around me. And, you know, I, I started this episode talking about, video games and like a culturally relevant video game at the moment, but I'm not coming from it from the lens of like, you know, I'm a games journalist. You need to respect me. Um, I, you know, I get paid to put out like something about games. It's that this is particularly of interest to me and it's a good launching off point for what I'm talking about as it, you know, relates to respecting your audience. And I would, I would want the same for you. I would want, if you feel like this same kind of, uh, feeling in your life, like your critical thinking ability is, um, you know, been inhibited or 
you know, you don't feel like you sort of have your own takes and beliefs on things. I would say it's because you're sort of caught up in like a, 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 you know, a matrix of people who, and (laughs) the matrix, no, Um, yeah, like a matrix of like, you know, this online culture where it's not that like dissenting thought or like oppositional thought is kind of like censored. I don't necessarily think it's a censorship issue. I just think it's kind of like this idea that like no one is sort of steering the ship and people aren't sort of staking their claim for the things that they believe or putting them out into the world in the way that they want to. And because of that, yeah, we're left with this just like sea of like meaningless shit that we wade through constantly in the media, in, you know, social media, online spaces, endless YouTube videos that just have like nothing to offer even podcasts, I mean, it's probably, it's probably an element of mine that you may believe that of, and that's fine. You should think that way. If you do think this is bullshit, then you should think about that and journal about it and then come up with some kind of like internal or external, external response for it, because that is critical thinking. And that's more important than, you know, having the quote unquote right opinion. And I think like, this is, this is like, it's it's disappointing to me but I guess it's like not something I particularly worry about too much because it's a juggernaut it just kind of is what it is and I've just made peace with the fact that I'm not going to play that game I'm not going to do it that way because what would be the point you know if I necessarily felt like I should have some kind of take on cyberpunk 2077 in a timely manner I probably should have released this you know months ago but uh I'm not going to do that because that's not the point of it. The point of it is for me to exercise my ideas and the things that I believe. And I think it's important that you do the same and you do it in a way that is not only like, yeah, truthful to who you are and what you believe that like is also respectful to your audience, you know? And I think one, one way that this kind of mindset manifests is in the way that we promote things or the way that we, um, you know, kind of position our work out into the world. Like this is two pronged. One, I think that we often hide behind like aesthetics and hide behind ideas of like, um, you know, presenting something in a more amenable light to promote it just because we know that that's sort of like the like I said the like homogenized culture that we live in so this an example of this might be you know thinking back on movies like Suicide Squad which which had this like really interesting movie trailer with all this different music and was like really fascinating and people had really high expectations for it but then when you go and watch the movie it doesn't actually give you anything like that it's not the tone of the movie was completely different because well the main reason for that movie we don't really have to go into but it was sort of like three different people having different ideas on what the movie could be and them not able to settle on what it is but you know it's the same thing with cyberpunk 2077 is they're promoting this game as like going to be this revolutionary thing and then when you actually get it it's something completely different and because of that people become upset And I think also because of that, as Never Knows Best outlined in this video, people can't engage with it with what it actually is. So if you're promoting your art exhibition and it's a bunch of like really dark um, paintings or it's like about specifically some kind of like horrific thing or like, you know, 
some kind of like sexuality or whatever, like you should be brazen about that and honest about it. Not necessarily to the point where you just want to like shock and awe people, but if that is the point of your work, then that should be a part of it. You know, you shouldn't sort of like desensitize people or like give them the expectation that it's going to be something different. And it's the same with my work. Like I, I, I've talked at length about, you know, my commercial filmmaking experience and then about the short films I'm working on and how different they are just in terms of like tone and speed and, you know, the, the time that they go for, I think it would be really dishonest and also not dishonest, but yeah, well, dishonest. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Uh, dishonest, but also like shooting myself in the foot to present my work in a way that's like, you know, here's this really flashy trailer with interesting imagery of my film. And then you go and watch the film and then it's nothing like that. I think that would give people an expectation of something that they would be let down by it in the same way that people have been let down by, you know, Cyberpunk 2077. So all of this is to like say that, you know, these, these trends or like technical ideas or ability or even, even like the illusion of your experience can get in the way of what you're doing and, and like what the work feels like it wants to be where your subconscious is taking you. And like my advice would be to try not to overthink it and just let things be what they're supposed to be. And that can be really challenging. Like I've found that myself and, you know, but I've also found some enlightenment, particularly with this project here and the, the, the films that I'm working on at the moment, because I have given myself time. I've given myself, like I gave myself six months before I even recorded anything again between the last project, because I needed that time to think about it. And I did think about it. I thought about it a lot. I did, I not sort of formally, but I did, you know, like a postmortem of the of the previous project. And then I thought about like, okay, well, why did it feel wrong to me? And where did it, where did it not work? And, and, you know, I've talked about those things as as well, but now that I've done that, I feel like I can more easily, more easily, more easily present a, uh, you know, a more honest product to the world that I feel better about it, that I feel like I can manage the, the schedule of it because I am, totally in control of it. And I see that now. And because of that, you know, in a way I am respecting the audience because I think ultimately the best way to respect the audience is to respect yourself. Because if you take yourself seriously, if you put yourself out into the world as you are, then people are going to engage with you earnestly and they're going to understand you. And even if they don't quote unquote, get it, even if they don't like your work, even if they don't particularly understand what it is or know why it would be relevant or even if they actively dislike it at least they're taking it as it is you know you don't want to end up as like a cyberpunk 2077 where there is 70% of an amazing game here that has all these amazing things but there are so many people who won't even engage with it because all they've heard about is the horror stories of like the game that was promised that never went delivered So it's an interesting sort of like cautionary tale, I think. And, uh, you know, this, this has been my problem for a long time because I think it's like an element of comparison and that's like where, you know, being on social media all the time, like really, uh, crushed my spirits and my ideas of what things could do. And I think really limited, like 
my ability to do things, you know, because I worried that my work wouldn't fit a mold of like an audience desire or expectation. And that's a, that's a hard thing when you, when you're looking at, you know, your social media feed and what you're saying and doing, and people are reinforcing that it can be really hard to break out of that. I think it can be really hard to like change something up or do something different, even though to be honest, most people probably don't care. And would, if they are a supporter of yours, they probably will support you regardless or they won't. It just is what it is. But like, I've got friends who have stayed, uh, in industries like musician friends who've just done music for a long time, long after their passion for it dwindled because they just felt like they couldn't not do it because it was just such a part of their like identity and personality. And because of that, they always struggled to really like release music. They um, were constantly sort of like investing all of this emotion into like something and then it would, they would release the project and sort of nothing would really come of it. And that would like really crush them. And I think that, you know, they just got caught in this like pattern because they were so worried about what other people would think. They were so worried that, you know, if I don't do it this way, if I don't do it the way that it's supposed to be, or I don't say the things I'm supposed to say that it's not going to work out for me. But they were so caught up with that that they didn't possibly think about like, well, what do I actually want? Do I even want to do this? Is this worth pursuing? Um, as a little aside, I had the thought last night that like, one of my favorite things is like quitting projects, <laughs> not a, like that sounds so funny, but like, I love leaving a project that isn't working after, you know, having sunk that time and investment in it. And, but just being able to have that like finality to it, you know, to say like, okay, this, this project isn't working. I need to go and do something else because you can, then you can, then you can step back from it then you can escape from it and kind of look at it, you know, with that critical eye and really like, be honest with yourself about how things went. Whereas I see so many people just trying to drag like the bloated corpse, sorry for that uh, mental imagery uh, of their, you know, project through years. And like some people I know decades of like just the same thing, just hitting their head on the wall repeatedly, like just that sheer insanity. And like, I've done this too. And I, I'm sure I will do it again and we'll continue to do it at different points. But like I said, at least I think that I'm at a point where I can be more honest with myself. And if it's just not working or I just don't want to do it, I just won't. Like, it's that simple. At least as it pertains to like, you know, personal creative practice, you know, art that you're doing because you want to, projects that you're doing because you want to, like, yeah, you don't, (laughs) I I would hate to see people go through that because, I've gone through it. I've seen others go through it. And it's just like such a, I don't want to say like it's a waste of like a talent. It's like a waste of a person that could do so many other things. Like you can do so many things with your life. You can be whoever you want to be. I feel so liberated, you know, with the decision to quit commercial filmmaking because it's like, I don't have to be that person anymore that feels that way. I can shed that those like five years of like, what's a good word for it? I don't know. Like I've just been wearing this heavy sodden cloak. So many visual metaphors in this episode, this heavy sodden cloak of like expectation from myself and then reinforced through like social media and watching other creators online and what it should be. And like, it's just so nice to shrug that off and to do this 
my own way and to do things the way that I want to and to truly feel like I am closer to what's inside of me. You know, that core of me that that is the very reason why I would even do something like record a podcast or make a short film to put out into the world. Like, and because of that, in a very roundabout way, that is my, I guess my ultimate thesis of this episode is that to truly like respect your audience, you need to respect yourself and you need to listen to yourself and look after yourself. And, you know, you will know, like you just, you just know more often than not, you know what the problem is you know what's going wrong and what's not working and it's fine to take a break. It's fine to walk away from something. It's fine to quit something. I quit my last band like a year ago and like I've never been better friends with those guys and I've never enjoyed music more. I've never enjoyed hanging out with them more and it wasn't because of like any particular external factor other than the fact that I realized I like being in a band. I like the feeling. I like the status of it. I like people coming up to me saying that I'm good, even though I feel like I'm not, but that's, you know, that's a good feeling. But that was it. There was no sort of like desire for me to like be some famous musician anymore or to, you know, even pursue the project that I was in. And that was so liberating when I did that. And to my friend's credit, you know, they were like, oh, don't leave. We love you. <laughs> I'm over sort of exaggerating there. But, you know, that that was great too because like me leaving kind of like opened up this, uh, this um, void of like topic that we hadn't been able to get to. We were trying to scratch the surface of, but we got to it and I realized like, oh, I'm one of the things that's kind of holding this project back. Even though, you know, I contribute a lot, but I think I would be much better for this project if I was on the outside and that that made me so much happier too to be able to see them like you know evolve to a new stage and to um you know be able to pursue the things they wanted to pursue and not that I was holding them back like in that way but just like you know it it kind of like allowed them to be a bit more free and to maneuver in some ways that they hadn't been able to before but it was beautiful for me because I was like well I just want to focus my time on my own projects because while I love this project, it is uh, another thing that I'm doing and it gets in the way of other things. And because of that, I start to enjoy none of them. And because of that, I can't be the best artist I need to be. I can't, I can't make the best work that I need to make. And now that I'm like, you know, more aware of these things and more honest with these things, I, um, I have control of like the expectations of like who I am and, and, and what my work is going to be. And also, you know, able to separate the identity of like, you know, I make art and I'm an artist, but that's not who I am. Like what I do and what I make is not who I am. And removing myself from social media, God, I've said it a hundred times, say it a thousand more times is like the key to that for me is just like, getting away from this, you know, managed persona of myself to coming closer to like a real version of who I am. And because of that, I think my work is going to be better. I mean, overall, I've listened back to, you know, during editing, I've listened back to the episodes I've recorded for this project already. And I think while it's a bit different because I'm not interviewing people, mostly it's just myself talking. I think by and large, they are a step above just in terms of like 
topics just in terms of like, you know, really cutting to the point of like my own ideas and working out things. Like, sure, there's times where I feel like, you know, I wish I could articulate things better or I wish that I wish that maybe I was a bit further along in a thought process before I recorded something. But that's also part of it as well Is like you kind of need to draw a line in the sand and say like, look, this is this is finished right now in terms of like this idea, this thought process, this is where it's at. And there's going to be a finished work. There's going to be a finished article to put out into the world. And that's what these podcasts are, which is like incredibly fascinating because it is a, it is a format. I don't necessarily know if it's an art form per se, but it is like a craft where, you know, you're, there is almost like no artifice to it there. It, it is literally, especially when it's just me talking, like it's just me. I, I, I can't hide behind effects. I can't hide behind someone else. I can't, you know, and I think that's what I really like about it is that, you know, it, it forces me to, to just put something out there and articulate what I'm feeling, regardless of whether it's something I've been thinking about for years or something I've been thinking about for five minutes. It's just something that feels right to put into the world. And I know that's a little bit of a huge digression, but I hope you can see the, uh, the way that ties back in and what I'm trying to say about like respecting your audience by respecting yourself. I guess that's really the key of this episode is like take yourself seriously, but also be honest with like what your work is and put it out there and present it in a way that actually like, you know, is true to the artwork and true to who you are. I didn't even really touch on it, but there's a series of games that are beloved by gamers, you know, the Dark Souls series, which are known for their extremely challenging um, gameplay and like sort of punishing ability to teach you how to succeed in the game by just killing you and robbing you of all your items. (laughs) Um, And they're incredibly fascinating. Like the worlds that the game builds are incredibly beautiful. Um, If I could say what it's about, I guess it's about like trying to bring the light back into like a decaying world or, you know, a completely decayed world. And it's an interesting um, comparison with something like, you know, The Witcher 3 and Cyberpunk because these games are known for not hand-holding you at all, not telling you what to do and exactly like where to go. It's really up to you and you learn, like I said, through failure and death how the world works and what you need to do and how you need to defeat certain enemies and you know the enemies can be absolutely punishing and you might die a hundred times before you actually defeat the enemy in front of you but when you finish that when you reach that sense of accomplishment like the people people who play them just liken it they, they can't liken it to anything else because you have you have done it yourself you know like you've been in this brutal world where you've had to find out the way to do things you've had to find out how to defeat these enemies and when you do that there's just this deep sense of achievement and satisfaction that I would almost argue is not there for those other kinds of games or other kinds of experiences that handhold you through it now I'm not trying to say everything that we experience should be challenging and difficult like we shouldn't always have to watch an eight-hour film or read a 5,000 word novel um, to get something from it I think you can still get plenty of um, 
or you know it depends but you can still get meaning and and some kind of like understanding of the world and yourself through more commercialized art forms whether you're you know watching Disney films or Star Wars I'm sure there's still something to take from it Um, and I'm a huge Star Wars fan and I have a lot of thoughts about them that I think we'll get to in some later episodes as well Um, but I think it is necessary to have these experiences to have these challenges and and to and and in the way that like from software the creator of Dark Souls the company and um, you know the designers like speak about it is that they respect their audience they respect their audience enough to say like okay this is our game and this is how it is and you know it's punishing and it's difficult but there is a logic to it there is a way to exist in this world and to succeed and it will it it will take um skill it will take patience it will take um you know paying attention and understanding and because of that i think it's you know creating a a whole new level of expectation for gamers that they don't necessarily want the experiences that they have to just handhold them through everything. And I would say that's what I value in artwork as well, uh, to a large degree, not in everything, but, you know, in a lot of experiences. And I, and I think that that's just another way to to respect your audience is to not dumb things down. You know, don't don't hold their hand through everything. Don't necessarily feel like you have to explain things. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who loves unpacking things and critiquing things and you know coming up with ideas about it and explaining it but I have I have really like appreciated the ability now to you know have this like interesting dichotomy between something like this project the mirror where I speak at length about certain topics and I you know really get into the nitty-gritty of them and and get to explain myself in that way because that's a side of me that's a, a very curious and like um, expressive side that wants to put these things out into the world but a lot of these ideas are not are not necessarily ideas that actually will find their way into my artworks and films they they're more like um, deeper deeper emotions or things that like maybe I can't even articulate that you can only express through some kind of like creative art form and uh, I really like that I have that side of me as well, you know. So I, I kind of get to, I kind of get to like experience both of those things with people. And I guess that's what I love about art is that it can take so many, so many facets and forms. It can, um, it can sort of hit you over the head with, uh, you know, this is what I'm saying, which I, I spoke about last week uh, in the last episode um with like films like love by gaspar noe where he just removes the artifice of the film and just tells you this is what it's about he'll have a character saying this is what the movie is about but it doesn't uh, diminish the effect of the film or, or the artwork and then there are works of art like you know stalker by andre tarkovsky where it's like nothing in that film really explicitly says what the film is about but the entire film just like hits you as just like this wave of experience and you just understand it on some level some deeper level that like I can't even articulate and and I would hope at some point in the future that I can speak more about that because I still I still have the feeling of it resonating inside me since I originally watched it and you know it wouldn't have the same impact if 
if Tarkovsky was just trying to like, you know, ham in all these like this exposition through conversation that didn't really make sense. And and I just, it's just so like, I don't know, I just as, as a side note, like that film Stalker, I just, I think everyone should watch it. And people ask me what it's about. And I just say, it's about everything. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but it's just like, you just have to sit down and give yourself over to it. And yeah, it's, it's revolutionary. That's for sure. And I think that's, you know, that's another reason why someone like Andre Tarkovsky is such an inspiration to me is because he was completely unapologetic about the way he did things. He didn't care about, you know, necessarily feeling like he had to present things in a way that was popular or a way that, you know, was the orthodox of the time. And I resonate with that because no matter, no matter how I feel about, you know, some of the works of art that I see, I, I just couldn't imagine myself replicating or sort of drawing upon, um, some types of like, you know, specifically talking about films. Like I just couldn't imagine making a sort of straightforward 90 minute to two hour, like Hollywood style film. I just couldn't imagine it. Like I just couldn't imagine not having these long digressions, like given over to memory and like, you know, um, philosophical ideas. And it's not to say those things don't exist in Hollywood film, but they, they belong to the art house, you know, like David Lynch is a great example of someone who, somehow is able to exist within sort of within like the Hollywood space, but his films just don't fit that. And as he's gone on, he's made more and more experimental films because he's just doing what he wants. And he doesn't, he doesn't explain to the audience what he believes. He just, he puts it out there and he tells you, you should decide for yourself. You should come up with the idea yourself because that is a magical thing. That is more important than, than having the right take or the right understanding of what this film or symbolism means you know sometimes sometimes a, a, a cup of coffee is just a cup of coffee but sometimes it's not it's up to you to decide and he does a magical job of like you know everyone goes into his films looking for all these clues and understandings but I think like what he really does is he sets you up to say like it's up to you you know sure there's a way that I believe it and and he's said on record that like there is a meaning to these films, but no one has ever told me what I think the films mean to me. And that's, that's basically another way of him saying like, come up with it on your own, you know, think for yourself and you will be surprised with what you come up with. And he's an incredibly prolific artist. And it's because, well, one of the reasons is he believes that, you know, he believes that you should be deriving your own meaning from things that you should be the one to figure out what it means and to and to decide for yourself whether you like it or don't like it or sometimes in like the case of like stalker that's not even a question there's no question of like it or don't like it there's only a question of like what experience did you have and what did you take away from it and that's why to me it's such a hard film to explain to people because if you really talk about like what happens in the movie what happens in the movie what happens in the movie is three men walk around in a forest for three hours and then end up in a room that's what happens in the movie but what the movie means is a completely different story and you often can't say that about 
you know, Hollywood cinema, about mainstream cinema. And that's what, you know, that's where I'm going with things. And I would like to think that if you're seeking to, you know, if you like the more you, the more you like head down your career path or, you know, your hobby interest or, or however you, you know, um, however you enter the space of like creation and art, I would hope that you are, you know, following, following that voice inside you, because that is going to be the thing that resonates with people far beyond the, the content. I think itself, I think you can always understand and appreciate someone who has like a completely unique vision for something. And even if you don't like it, you can still kind of walk away from it and say, well, I didn't like that or I hated that, but at least I can see that like, you know, they approached it in their own way, that they had something to say, that they wanted to execute something in a, in a, in a unique way, or at least a way that, you know, was unique to them. And I think that's what you should be focusing on is like, you know, stop worrying about what, what is marketable, what is necessarily like the way that, um, that is, is popular to create things online and, and care more about like, what is it going to look like for you? Is it going to be a five hour long film? Is it going to be a painting that takes up the entire wall of the gallery? Is it going to be creating miniature houses that fit inside of a bottle? Like, what is that going to be? And if you just focus on that first and foremost, like if that is, if that is your focus for the beginning of your creation, uh, you know, creation, the rest will come because like I said, people, people are smarter than you give them credit for. People understand things more than, than we, we think they do. Even we do if we allow ourselves to. And so I think, yeah, just, just allow yourself to take things to where they need to go. And I've, I've, spoken about this before again and uh and I will speak about it again but I can definitely say that as I'm you know entering this new phase of like doing things the way that I truly feel that I want that I am getting rid of that like you know that that sense of like fighting fighting against the beast that is like commercial filmmaking and uh the sense that I have to do things on someone else's timeline as opposed to do them on, do them at my own speed and at my own, um, method of delivery. Um, I feel a lot more at peace with what I'm doing. Even if I, you know, record episodes like this, where sometimes I kind of find myself thinking, where am I going with this point? <laughs> but there's sort of nothing in here that I wouldn't want to put out into the world because I, like I said, it's, it's, it's a working out. It's a process. It's a, uh, it's something that I feel a lot more, um, I feel a lot more comfortable with and feel like a lot more satisfied with the work that I'm doing. And I hope that you can reach that too. I hope that you can find that sense of, uh, find that sense of like what works for you. And I mean, I've given you at this point a fair few tips on how you can achieve that. Um, but you can always, you know, get in contact if you want some more specific, um, I don't want to say advice. I don't want to pretend like I'm, you know, the art whisperer here, but just like, if you want to chat more candidly about these things, I would, I would absolutely, if I can, you know, 
um, I'd absolutely do that. So I think I'll leave it there today. And yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for, you know, supporting this project ongoing. Um, links for support are in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a great day, great week, weekend, enjoy yourself. And yeah, just think, think about, sit down with a journal and think about what, what possibly could you, uh, what, you know, what way forward could you possibly take for your art that maybe you're not getting there right now because you feel like it needs to be a certain thing, but feel that feeling inside you. If there's any kind of resistance, it's like, no, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. Listen to that because that will point you in the right direction. I hope you uh, have a very uh, enlightened experience with that and I'll uh, chat to you next time. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Mirror. The Mirror seeks to provoke questions around the way we create and experience art. And it's my sincere hope that in some way it helps you in your own creative practice and perhaps your life beyond. If this project reaches you in some way, helps you reflect or reframe, or indeed provokes any kind of feelings within you, I'd love to hear from you about it via the contact form on my website. I really appreciate your engagement with The Mirror You can support me and the work that I do by becoming a sustaining member for as little as $40 a year by signing up at justinreed.com.au slash support. You will help me continue to create exceptional work, feel great about directly funding compelling art, and you'll also receive a bunch of great benefits, including access to exclusive films, artworks, and behind-the-scenes material on my membership platform that you can't experience anywhere else, discounts on my online store, and higher tier subscribers even get free access to all of my premium films before anyone else. So become a sustaining member and sign up at justinreed.com.au support. You can also support the show by subscribing to my YouTube channel and listening to full episodes of The Mirror there, complete with meditative, original visuals created just for this project. Our fantastic music is written, produced, and performed by Annalisa Vetrunio, with drums contributed by Giacomo Greco. All of these details and links are included in the episode description. And until next time, I hope you're out there creating great work on your terms. I'm Justin Reed, and you have been listening to The Mirror.